0: Continuing from last week in Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. God, I ask that as we hear the word today that we are just focusing on you and learning in you, God. I pray that you just uh, bless Kevin as he is preaching, God, and that we are just listening and that we can just focus on you and see what it means to be following you and looking to you in Jesus' name.
1: Amen, have a seat. Welcome to Aletheia Church. Uh, my name's kevin i'm one of the pastors here appreciate you guys being here this morning if you're a first-time visitor and didn't get one of the gifts when you came in uh, we have a gift out there for you it's just a little book called what is the gospel um, that's what we're all about here we're about jesus christ and the good news of what he's done for us so we'd love for you to have that book and take it with you before you leave so just stop out at the little um, connect center out in front of the doors but um did you notice it smelled like a diner when you came in here this morning yeah can we give blaine and jamie a hand Yeah. Those guys, um, those guys see, here's, why, here's why they're doing that, guys. Um, they love you guys, and they love you because God loves you. And so they want to serve you. And so they were here um, working hard this morning, making you guys breakfast. Um, if you want to get involved in helping do that, Um, I put some serve cards on the back tables. There's other areas where we need people to serve as well. We need more people loving on the kids that come here on Sunday morning. It was funny. I was talking to Derek back in the back just a minute ago, and he was saying, yeah. I could hear the noise coming from the kids' room and I went over to kind of tell them to be quiet and they were singing and worshiping Jesus and so I decided that I was in the wrong and I walked back out. And so, um, but we need more people to love on the kids so uh, we would love for you to serve. I always say especially, here's my plea to the young college guys in the room, if you want to be dads one day, practice on my kids, right? And church is a great opportunity to do that. Um, I would love for you to learn how to change my son Josiah's diaper. I would love for you to just practice practically on what it looks like to, to love on kids, and so we would love for have you guys to, to sign up with Alethea Jr. as well. All right, so lastly, um, this Saturday night, I want to plug this one last time, I know we talked about it earlier, but I want to plug it one last time. This Saturday night, women's community worship night at um, 6 p.m. here at the church this Saturday night, um, please come. Um, the ladies have worked really, really hard on getting this night set up, it's going to be... Uh, led by women, for women, it's going to be a great opportunity to just worship. Um, we're going to have a guest speaker coming, um, I believe, as well. He's going to talk on some things. So, um, would love for you guys to be here at 6 p.m. this Saturday night. Please put put that on your calendars and please plan to be here. If you do plan on coming, there's a Facebook event too. We would love for you guys to connect on that and just indicate that you're coming so we can make sure we have enough food for that. All right, if you have a Bible, Galatians chapter four is where we're going to be. You just heard Josh um, reading uh, from that, and as you're Returning there I want to update you guys on a few things mainly centered around here at Aletheia church so two days ago so Friday was the fourth anniversary of our first services here in Gainesville so can we give God just some props for that um so so technically we are four years old as a church and if you are if you have a four-year-old like I have had a four-year-old in the past Um, you know that that means your kid is starting preschool, he's becoming more independent and doing more, um, but he's still a kid. And so there's a lot of things going on here too where we're going through some growing pains as a church right now where there's a lot of exciting things going on and yet we're still acting a lot like a kid too. And if you guys have ever been around Gideon, my five-year-old, you know exactly what I'm talking about. One minute you think you're talking to a 22-year-old And then you think you're talking to a two-year-old, and you're like, what's going on here? And that's just as Gideon's growing and and learning kind of how to operate. He's trying to learn about his place, learn who he is, and try to figure out who God has created him to be. And and we get the privilege as his parents kind of coming alongside him and and encouraging that and and pointing him to Jesus. And so as a church, we're kind of in that same place. Like One of the interesting things for me, and and the reason I'm sharing this story is it actually ties in really, really well to the text this morning, is that when we first got here, you know— I kind of had this, this vision, like where we came from in Virginia, there were a lot of people from the Northeast that were coming down to the university that I was attending, and that's where the, the, the first Aletheia church was. And so what was happening is the, the Northeast is a, a very, very different culture from the South, very different. And most people, if you would start talking to them about spiritual things, they would be like, oh, you know, grandma, I think was Catholic, but you know, I really have no idea what's going on and so a lot of our opportunities to to witness and share the gospel with people in virginia came with people that really had no expectations of church no expectations of god they had no clue who jesus really was they maybe knew a few things about him from pop culture or from the simpsons but that was about it and so we we had these opportunities to to share with people who were really really far from god and had no idea what was going on and so you know when we got called down here to Gainesville, I kind of had this vision that we were going to be leading all these people to Christ, and we were going to be doing baptisms all the time, and there was going to be all these like crazy people, kind of like what, what, what we had experienced in Virginia, and that we were going to kind of be this church that, you know, just really went after the lost. And so we got down here, and I found out really quickly that North Florida is a part of the old Bible Belt in this country. And 90% of the people that I would talk to on campus or out in the city or in my neighborhood um, had some sort of a church background within one generation. So if not themselves, at minimum their parents had grown up in the church in some way, shape, or form. And this was hard for me uh, because we found really quickly that the ministry we had come to do was going to need to shift away from kind of what we had thought it was going to be to what God needed it to be in this particular area. And the number one reason I had a problem with it, I was actually kind of hurt like our first year here. I was like, you know, Lord, I had this vision for all these things we were going to do. And all these people think they know God already. here, Here, by the way, when I'm saying like I had a problem with it, here was the difference in ministry. God still wanted this church to be here. But the main difference in ministry that we were seeing is... Instead of dealing with people that knew they were far from God and had no idea who God was and maybe even had some angst against God, I was dealing with a lot of people who thought they knew God but didn't really know him. A lot of people who would walk into church because it was the right thing to do is what they'd done their entire lives. It was what mom and dad had them do. It's what grandma took them to do or grandpa took them to do on the weekends. And they had this idea, this mindset that if I go to church or if I attend a community group or if I'm involved in ministry in some way that I'm good to go because that's what we do. That's what following God has become. It's become a set of religious rules and examples that we've created here in the South. And as we've been here. I've really seen God shift the focus of our ministry to two things. Okay, so for you guys that are new here this morning, you're going to kind of get a, a sneak peek and where the church is heading and what we think God has called us to be here in Gainesville. And the first one is this. Seeing the danger of the dying Bible Belt culture here in the South, myself and your, your fellow elders have come convinced that what God wants us to be is a place where we winsomely disciple and declare the gospel frequently at this church. Meaning what, what we're going to be doing is focused on one thing unashamedly and that's making sure everyone understands the gospel fully. So if you've been here the last couple weeks, you're like, Kevin's preaching on the same thing every Sunday. I come in here and Paul's talking about legalism and Kevin's you know, saying Paul hates legalism. Guess what? First of all, Yes, unashamedly so. I will preach the same message for the rest of my life. Because here's the thing. Whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ in here this morning or not, here's what you need. The gospel. Every single day for the rest of your life here on this earth, you need a reminder of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. I remember when I first became a believer about a little over 10 years ago, There was like this big, like, the church is always fighting about something, but at the time, the the church at large was fighting over attractional church versus traditional church. And kind of the the idea was, you had the traditional people being like, they don't worship God correctly, and you know, there's an electric guitar up front, and Satan loves electric guitars, you know, and they're mad about all these different things. And then you had the other side, like the attractional church being like, non-believers don't want to go to your church, because... You're so stuck up, and no one wants, everyone wants to hear Led Zeppelin when they come in here, right? And so there's these huge arguments going back and forth. And one thing is, like, I found myself in the beginning being like, well, you know, I came from a non-traditional church background, meaning that I just didn't really care. My church was really traditional, but I didn't care. I sat outside the church and ate donuts with the ushers on Sunday mornings. So when I got to church and kind of like experienced kind of a new way to do church, I thought, oh man, this attractional model is really great. And so like at, at the beginning I was like, yeah, those traditional people, they're evil, right? Like, you know, they, they, they're stuck in their traditions. And here's what I've come to find out. God doesn't care if you have a harp, an organ, or what you're doing as far as worship. Here's what God's worried about. He's worried about you honoring and glorifying Him. And more importantly, and here's where I think both sides of that argument 10 years ago were, were confused. Because their argument as far as like what was supposed to be happening from the pulpit was what the tractional church said, we need evangelistic messages. And the traditional church was saying, we need to be building up our disciples by preaching the word. Here is the right answer to what you're supposed to be doing. You need to be preaching the gospel. Because both Christians and non-Christians alike need the same thing. They need a reminder of what God has done for them in Christ. And so unashamedly here, if you... Sp- If you call to your home for as long as you are in Gainesville, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a heavy dose of the gospel. We are going to push you in any way that we can to be applying the gospel, not just intellectually to being saved one time from your sins so that you can avoid hell, but we're going to talk about how the gospel motivates you and sanctifies you and how God is using the good news to make you more like Jesus, to make you a better evangelist, to make you a better follower of Jesus, all for His glory, not for yours. That's the first thing that we're going to be about here. Okay, number two, we're going to be about church planting. We're going to be all about seeing Jesus start more churches that are gospel-centered. That's, that's unashamedly what we're going to do. And, and that, that is why we joined an organization like Acts 29 last summer, which is their, their primary mission statement is all about planting churches both stateside and globally. It's why that we support church plants that have started in College Park, Maryland. We're supporting a church that's starting this summer in... Um, State College, Pennsylvania, home of Penn State. And then, as you guys know, because we've been talking about it extensively, our primary church, that's our Dollar Church in Barranquilla, Columbia, Alumbra, we are all about what God is doing. And there's more churches. Your your elders are constantly praying and connecting with other people who are planting churches, both stateside and globally, and we're praying about how we can get involved with those. And so here's another thing you're gonna start noticing here in your time here, especially I'm talking to the students here. You guys are uniquely positioned at this stage of your life, okay? I, I can't just go to China tomorrow. I've got two kids, one of them with, with a, a fairly serious medical condition. Some of you college students, though, you're going to graduate here in like two or three uh, months, right? And some of, the, some of you seniors are like, oh, what do I do, right? It's okay. Right, here's, here's what we're going to start encouraging you guys to do. I want you guys to start praying about and thinking about what can I do for the first two years after I graduate from college to maximize my time and my energy to make much of God. That might mean to go on international missions. That might mean to stay here in Gainesville and be a part of what's going on here at Alathia to equip, disciple, and train and encourage people in the gospel. And it might mean if you're an accountant, nurse, doctor, dentist, FYCS, I think that's like 85% of you guys in here. Whatever, whatever your major is, whatever God wants you to do, all the people who are non-FYCS majors are laughing at you guys right now. I'm really sorry. All right, it's okay. I had the equivalent of that major at my university too. It's okay. Okay. Whatever it is that you have gone to get your degree for, there are church plants starting in major cities all over this country. We want to connect you with those pastors and we want to ask you, will you give them two years? Will you go be a part of a church plant team somewhere else, doing your job, being a faithful witness in that city? That's what we're all about here this morning. And here's the crazy thing. As we've been seeing God kind of change and transform that original vision of what we thought this was going to be, the elders and I are convinced that we are moving in the direction that God wants this church to be moving in. Right. Both with what you guys are doing in the way that you're growing in Christ and your love for Jesus, but also really in reality with what the church is supposed to be as an organization moving forward. And so... The interesting thing is, as I'm talking about this this morning, there's there's been a lot of growing pains in the midst of that for us here at this church. There's been a lot of growing pains. There's been people that have hated me and screamed at me on their way out the door. There's been people that talked about how much they love this church. And then two weeks later, we're telling people how much they hated this church. And there are people that were loving God on mission and then walked away from their faith. There's been a lot of growing pains. And in reality, that is exactly what Paul is dealing with in the book of Galatians. He's dealing with a church that's going through a huge time of tension and transition. And really what he's trying to do is reset the DNA and the culture of that church to be centered around Jesus and not something else. To be centered around the mission of the gospel. And so here's what we're going to do. Let's look at the text. And then here's here's my warning to you guys this morning. And I I have lost sleep over this sermon this week, just to let you guys know. At some point during this sermon it's gonna get a little uncomfortable in here. I'm warning you ahead of time. Okay, so you can like mentally prepare yourself, okay? Before, before you, you, you just get up and leave, right? Like, Kevin's yelling at me, okay? Okay, first of all, I would ask you to do two things. Let me finish and let me get through everything that we're gonna talk about, but I ask you to do this. Will you please take, because I did not wake up this morning wanting to yell at you, okay? Believe it or not, I struggle with the same thing you do. I want you to like me, okay? But there's some things in the text this morning that I think that are going to uniquely challenge us as people who live in the dying Bible Belt culture with what the gospel is and who we are to be as followers of Jesus. And so I'm going to be pushing back on a lot of things that I kind of view as like the gunk of the church in the South, not just this church, but the culture of the South. And how we might press forward through that in repentance of our sin and faith in Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at the text. Heavenly Father, you know that um, I have wrestled with this text mightily this week. Mainly um, because I think there's something big in here for us this morning to be challenged with. I pray that we would be loyal to you and your word, and that above all else, this time would be given to make much of your son and what he's done for us, that we as a church would be open and honest confronting our sin this morning, but then we would cling to the hope, mercy, and forgiveness that belongs to us in Jesus Christ. Meet us here in this time, and I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So Josh read to you from Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to kind of unpack Um, what we're looking at this morning, starting in verse 8, Paul says this. As you know, he's been kind of running through this idea of adoption and trying to remind the Galatians of who they really are in Christ, what God has really done for them. So look what he says here. He's kind of, really kind of going to shift gears a little bit here. Look what he says in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now, these verses, if you do not know the context of Galatians, can seem kind of confusing. But here's the reality. Here's the good news, right? We've been studying the book of Galatians verse by verse. So most of you guys that have been here throughout the course of really since about the second week of January, you should understand what, where Paul's going with this. You're like, yeah, I know exactly what Paul's saying. He's, he's worried about how the Galatian churches have been running back to the legalistic, ritualistic religion of the Jews and adding that to the gospel, And robbing Christ of his finished work on the cross. That's what he's really concerned with here. Okay, And so what Paul is doing here is he says, look, formerly when you did not know God. So here's what he's trying to break down and help them understand. He's like, remember back before I came to your region and you knew who Jesus was. Think, Think back to that for a second. So think back to a time where you didn't know who Jesus Christ was, who the God of the universe was... What was true of you? Well, he says two things were true of them. He says that they were underneath the elementary principles of the world, and he says that they were enslaved. Those are the, the two things he kind of points out that are true of them, right? Which is what most of us have a hard time understanding just as Americans in general. We say, oh, you know, religion, religion binds us up and, 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 and brings us up into slavery. And I, I hate religion, right? And I would say it like unashamedly, yes, that is true. That's what the, the gospel does. It frees you. But, but what most people don't understand is that if you don't have to be involved in religion to be enslaved, That that the reality of what was true of the churches of Galatia is, yes, they worshipped these deities, and I'll talk about that here in just a second, but they were still enslaved. They were just enslaved to their sin instead of slaves to God. That that by nature, right, they were underneath the power and control of what Paul calls the elementary principles of the world. They were enslaved to them, okay? And so he says, look, you guys are, you are underneath the element, you were underneath the elementary principles of this world. And so if you look at the Greek there, that term elementary principles refers to this pagan belief that spiritual forces lay behind everything that was natural in the world. And so let me kind of expand on that and tell you, it meant. It meant that there were beings that they had kind of conjured up in their minds um, that, that had to be worshipped and appeased, to be able to live comfortably in the world around them. So, so if you know anything about Greek or Roman mythology or even some of the other pantheistic religions that are out there or polytheistic religions that are out there, you'll know that, you know, for example, if you had trouble with fertility and con- conceiving children, you would go to the temple of Aphrodite so that you could offer a sacrifice to Aphrodite and she might offer you fertility. That she might be able to, in some way, you might be able to appease her Right? And she would help open the womb so that you would be able to bear children. If you were a sailor who made long trips, right, you would probably often worship the god of Poseidon and go to that temple to offer sacrifices so that Poseidon might offer you safe travel on the seas. And there's all sorts of gods, and they were involved in different things. And here's what Paul is saying. He's like, look, these elementary principles, these gods that you used to worship— we're not gods at all right if you look at verse 8 he says this he says formerly when you did not know god you were enslaved to those that what by nature are not gods So he gets that out on the table first. He's like, look, in your past life, you used to worship these gods that you thought had all this power. And by nature, they are not gods. But I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 really quick. And I want to unpack what Paul actually says is true about these false gods that they used to worship. Look at verse 20 with me. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to what? Demons. And not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Okay, so here's what Paul is trying to unpack and help the Galatian churches understand. The gods you used to worship actually did have power. And they actually did exist. And you actually may have even seen manifestations of them. That what you used to worship had something behind it. But here's the reality. They're not gods they were demons masquerading as gods in an attempt to confuse you. But, and here's the, here's the clincher, they are not the all-powerful sovereign god of the universe. Let me share with you a quote from C.S. Lewis in his, in his screw tape letters and what he has to say about the idea of spiritual warfare. Because here's, most of us in this room look at spiritual warfare. And most of us, at least in the West now in 2017 don't really believe in demonic forces or anything like that. We, we just tend to be like, it's not there. I don't want to deal with it. So look at, look at what C.S. Lewis has to say about spiritual warfare and demons in general. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors— Inhale a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And so C.S. Lewis is saying, look, when people approach demonic forces, you know, it, those that are underneath Satan's dominion and rule and power, that human beings tend to err on one or two sides. They either think, oh, they don't exist. I can't see them. They're not there. There's nothing demonic in this world. There's nothing evil in this world working against us. Or they go the other way and they care way too much about it. And that's when you get like those really weird movies Right, and people you know, have things up in their house to ward off evil spirits and all these things going on, that, that both sides are super weird. And, and C.S. Lewis says the issue with that is if you refuse to accept that they believe, they can be at work without any pushback, without you trying to realize that anything demonic might be going on. But the other error is taking and giving too much credit to demonic forces. You ever heard everybody say, the devil made me do it? Anybody ever hear somebody say that statement after they sin or do something like that? First of all, it probably was you. Satan's got better things to do than to hang out with you. But on top of that, right, if there was some some sort of demonic presence active around you, that presence is not sovereign and all-powerful. It has no sway or control over the God of the universe and what he's doing. Have you ever noticed how God deals with Satan and demons in the Scripture? Right? Think back to the book of Job. Right? This is a prime example. Right. God is sitting in the throne room, and who comes in and has to sit below God in his throne room to even be invited into his presence? Satan. So Satan comes into the throne room, and, and God's like, If you considered my servant Job, he's awesome. And Satan's like, Well, you know, Job only likes you because you have made him rich. And so God's like, Well, you know, just take his money then. You know, but don't, don't touch him, don't mess with him. But, but I'll let you do that. Satan himself, right, the prince of the power of the air, as he's called in the scripture... ...has to submit to the authority of God in the throne room of heaven to be able to do anything on this earth. Right? And so to think otherwise, maybe even like the Galatians were doing previously... ...before they had come to know the gospel, was to give too much credit to these, these demons... ...that might have some power behind them, but are not the sovereign God of the universe... I love even when you get into the gospel accounts, when Jesus is, is, is walking and doing ministry, anytime you see Jesus come in contact with a, with a demon-oppressed person, what's their response every time? There's never any argument. There's not like some cosmic Harry Potter spiritual battle going on where wands are waving. No, every time Jesus walks in and the demons are what? Petrified. Petrified. They're like oh, like, oh, we know who you are. You're the son of man. Please don't do anything to us. Please, you know, let us run into those pigs. You know, let, let, it, let us get away from here. We don't want to be around you. And Jesus is like, get out. And he speaks one word and it's over. Showing God's sovereignty and power, power over all this. So here is what, here's what Paul is saying as we've been trying to unpack this idea of, you know, spiritual powers and what the Galatians were worshiping before. He says, before you came to Christ, you worshiped these demons, these elemental idols that were not really gods. But now you have come to know God. And here's the clincher, as he says in verse 9, rather, God has, has made himself known to you, or you have been come known to him. Meaning, you used to worship demons, and now you are known and loved by the God of this universe who created and put all things into perspective who spoke all things into existence meaning that God God knows you he loves you he cares for you when you were when you came to know what he has done for you in Jesus that you became known and adopted, as, De- as uh, Derek talked about last week, you became adopted as sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. You're known by him. And more importantly, in the way that he words what's going on there, he takes all of the pressure off of you. He says, when you came to know, and then he kind of corrects himself actually... You became known to God. God came after you. He pursued you. He sent his son for you. Meaning, guys, take the pressure off yourself. It's not even about how much faith you have. That this is all about what God has done for you. God saved you and isn't about your performance, but about what he's done for you so that you might worship him. Paul's going back to this consistent message in Galatians over and over again. God has rescued you through Jesus. Why run to anything else? You heard the gospel, the good news that you were sinners, alienated, rebellious towards God because of your sin. But because of what God has done for us in Christ, he sent his only son To come and be a substitution to take on the penalty of your sin. To satisfy the wrath of the Father for our rebellion. And in satisfying that rebellion, that penalty that we were all underneath because of sin, Jesus gave us his righteousness, his good standing before the Father. So that when the Father looks at you, if you are a follower of Jesus, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus that you are in Christ, as we talked about a few weeks ago, covered by his blood, that your sin is in him and it's been paid for by what Jesus did on the cross. And Paul says, look guys, that is what I preached to you when I first came to your region. It's what you clung to, it's what you knew, and now what has happened to you? You strayed from the gospel, You've strayed and moved to performance. Seeking in some way to earn God's favor the same way you did when you sacrificed to idols. When you sacrificed to idols, you were trying to earn their favor and manipulate them to get you to do what what you wanted them to do. And now in the same way, you think by running back to religion, You can manipulate God. Look at what he says in verse 10 and 11. Because I think this is is something that's important for us to notice. Because there's there's what we tend to draw as a dichotomy between secular and religious. And it's really what you would see here if you didn't understand the context of what's going on Galatians. Because in these first two verses that we've seen, it's this idea of secular pagan religion that Paul is calling out in the Galatian churches. But look at what he says in verse 10 you observe days and months and seasons and years i am afraid i may have labored labored over you in vain anyone find verse 10 to be kind of strange in the context of what he was just talking about he just got done saying hey when you guys didn't know the gospel you worshiped demons now he's saying what You're observing Jewish religion and customs. Days, months, seasons. He's talking about Jewish holidays and Jewish customs that Jews were being, that were telling the Galatians, you have to observe these things to really be Christians. You have to do these things and observe these religious things to really be Christians. And here's his whole point. They've gone back to worshiping demons again. But instead of them being pagan gods, they're false deities that they've put underneath these religious rules and idols, underneath Jewish religion. That they think in some way that they'll find their justification and in some way that God will love them more and they'll be closer to him because they can observe observe and worship God by doing these things. That by running to religion something that we would consider right and good, especially in the South, that we're doing the right thing, that we're on the right plane, that we're heading in the right direction. And Paul says, look, you're running to religion. It's no different than than sacrificing to pagan idols and demons. There's no difference. He actually puts them in the same paragraph and puts them on the same playing field. And guess what? He's frightened for them. Look at what he says in verse 11. Verse 11. I am afraid I may have labored in vain for you. He's petrified about the direction that they're heading in. So here's how I see this playing out in, in, in our church. and Really, in reality, not just our church, but, but in our city and in the South, and a lot of the issues that, that really, in reality, we're even seeing as generational differences in this country right now. And it's this this idea, because here's the reality. Let me, let me start with this. How many of you came in here this morning saying, I want to worship a demon? Okay, no hands. That's good. Okay, good start, right? No one, no one got up this morning and was like, yeah, I feel like I'm worshiping a demon this morning. I'm gonna go to Alathea. right? I would say, one, you've come to the wrong place, but go with me to Romans chapter 14, because look at, look at what Paul says here. In Romans 14, He says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in what? Honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Meaning, Here's, here's what Paul's saying, like, no matter what you're doing as a, a religious practice, what you're doing as a, a spiritual discipline, if it's done in a manner that's not being done to give honor to God for what he's done for you in Christ, you're heading in the wrong direction. Whether you choose to observe the Sabbath or not observe the Sabbath, you better be making that decision because you want to honor God. If you're choosing to abstain from Jewish dietary law or follow it, you better be doing it because you think that's going to help you make much of the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for you. That whatever you're doing in word or deed, it's done to honor Him because of all that He has already done for you, not to in some way appease Him and earn His favor. Paul's saying that the decisions we make should be made with asking ourselves, hey, does this discipline, this thing that I'm doing, astir my affections for God so that in my heart I might worship Him and make much of Him? And that includes even coming to church. That includes even being involved with Christian community. And here's my fear, that in the south... Most of us get up on a Sunday morning or go to our community group or go to our campus ministry without giving a second thought to it because that's just what we do. It's who we are, it's where we've been programmed, it's what our parents told us to do, it's what grandma told us to do, and so we just do it because it's part of our DNA and programming. And that most of us walk in here on a Sunday morning or we walk through our lives or we're involved in our campus ministries throughout the week or we're involved with our Bible studies and all of it's just going through the motions without anything being done to stir our affections for the Lord. And so we we sit and we come in here and we sing some songs but there's no real worship and attention and honor being given to the Lord. Because what we've done is we've run back, as Paul says, to the elementary principles of this world. Some of you guys are sitting here like, I don't really agree with you, Kevin. Like, I don't, I, that's not why I come here. Guys, I'm telling you that it may not be you, but the culture that you're sitting in, this is the reality. Right, we're, we're, we're a month away from Easter. Here's what has been true of this church on Easter Sunday every year since we've been here. We do not rise or drop in attendance that week. But most of you guys are students in here. You're not here on Easter Sunday. You go back home because mom and grandma want you to dress up and you do your little Easter egg hunt with mom or whatever else that you do. You know, make mom happy for that weekend, right? But we don't drop in attendance because we have a bunch of people that show up here on that one Sunday a year. Because they live in the South, and what do you do on Easter Sunday? You go to church. That's what you do right? It's, it's programmed into the culture of what's going, on, what's going on here. And hear me on this, right? Because I, I think like a, something that might happen here is you're hearing me, and you're like, well, Kevin's saying church community is bad. He's saying I shouldn't come here if I'm not coming with the proper motivation. <clears throat> it's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it is a heart issue for you if you are walking in here due to religious obedience and not understanding the weight and the magnitude of what Christ has done for you. Church community is good, but if you come to church simply because it's the right thing to do, you're sorely missing out on what God has created the church to be. God has designed his church to be a place where you get together with other like-minded people and get reminded of the beauty of what God has done for you. You get to be reminded of who you really are and how God, in the midst of knowing who you really are, sent his only son to die for you and redeem and rescue you. That's the whole reason the church exists. It doesn't exist so you can have a bunch of friends. That's a side product doesn't exist so that you can come hear great worship music that may or may not be a side product it exists so that you can come and hear about and know who the god of the universe is and be encouraged to know and follow him to know of his great love for you and this is why ministry has been so difficult for me in the south because when i got here everyone was connected to ministry somehow and everyone thinks they're a Christian. Tons of you guys roll in here, especially you freshmen. If you're a freshman in here, I love you, but I'm going to pick on you for a minute. You roll in here, and we'll talk to you guys, and, we'll, and, and, and you think you're saved. And the reality is, is after talking to you for about five minutes, I know that you have never experienced and submitted to the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. From having a conversation with you, I know that you're running and doing what you think you're supposed to be doing, but you've never really experienced and tasted all that Christ has for you. The freedom that comes from not being enslaved, but comes from knowing that God loves you and saved you. See, guys, here's the reality. If you grew up in the South, or if you've spent any time down here, the South is an absolutely beautiful story mimicking the prodigal son. Okay? The prodigal son, if you're familiar with that story, right? It's two sons. They have a father, who, a rich father, who loves them. The youngest son's like, Dad, I hate you. I wish you were dead. I want your inheritance. And the dad's like, All right, go do what you want. Here's your inheritance. And he sends him off and he squanders it and he ruins everything. And what ends up happening to the youngest son? As he goes through that story, he realizes his own wickedness. He realizes that he's denied his father. He realizes that his father loved him and yet he denied that love. And he's like, you know what, I'll go back and just be a servant for my father because being a servant for my father is better than seeking my own lifestyle and what I'm doing. And he goes back home to the father, and what does the father do? The father meets him, hugs him, rejoices with him, and throws a party for him. Because here's the reality. The youngest son knew, I I don't know my dad. I don't know how much my dad loves me. I don't know the depth of love that my father holds for me. And when he realized who he really was and how far he was away from knowing his father, what did he want more than anything? He wanted dad. It's the one thing he wanted. Now the older son, I think, is the South. Oh, God wants me to do this? He wants me to be religious? He wants me to follow after him and do these things? All right. I got this, I can do this. I can work the land. I can be obedient. I can wait for my turn in line. I'll be obedient to the Father. I know what I can do. I can sit around and I can work. I can go to church. I can join community. I can be in youth group. I can do evangelism. I can do all these religious things. And You've got this checklist of things that you're constantly checking off. Me like, I honored the Father today. I honored the Father today. I did it, I did it, I did it. You know what's fascinating about the end of that parable that Jesus shares, though? who ends up going to the party and who stays outside of it the younger son goes into the party knowing that he's only invited because of his father the older son sits outside angry at the father because he's done all of these things but he still doesn't know his dad loves him because he thinks he has to earn his dad's love even at the end of that story when he says dad i have I've obeyed you, I've followed you, I've loved you, I've done all the religious things I'm supposed to do, and my brother squanders everything, and yet you invite him right back in as if nothing. And what does the father say? Son, it's not that you do all those things why I love you. I love you why? Because I love you. All that I have is yours. I've always loved you. And yet the older son is angry and bitter over all that is going on. And the primary thing I see in our culture in the South is that we know the rules, we know the regulations, but we're walking around bitter and enslaved because we haven't embraced the love of God for us in Christ, but instead we embrace a cheap counterfeit of it in the the religious drudgery of rules and Christian culture in the South. And it is a bitter poison that kills. And guys, I see it in a lot of you. Here's where I said it was going to get hard. Right? People come, I, I, there, by the way, there is nothing in this church that I don't know about that, that, that happens, trust me. But people come to me and they're like, you know, why, why won't God let me sleep with my girlfriend? It's so hard. Your dad loves you. Do you think he would give you a rule and place something on you to enslave you and make things worse for you? He created the universe. He probably knows a thing or two about the way this place operates and how you operate. Right, and yet you're bitter. You see the rule and you're trying your hardest to keep it, but you're bitter about it the entire time. There's no loving submission. You're angry about it. I I see it when you come and, and ask me the questions. Why does God want me to share my faith? Don't you think it's amazing what Jesus has done for you? Evangelism is not some sort of ritualistic rule that you have to keep. It comes out of the overflow of knowing that dad loves you. And you want to tell everybody about how great dad is. Right, I, see it, I see it in this. Why does God allow me to suffer? You know, why can't I hold down a job? Right, why, why, why did I make this mistake and this happened to me? Why is God allowing me to suffer? Because believe it or not, the universe is not centered around you having a comfortable life. That's the American dream. It's not the gospel. It's the southern religious crap that you've been fed over and over again, but it is not the gospel. Right? You come to me and ask questions like, why won't God give me this job? Or why, won't, why can't this relationship go well? Or why, is, why am I in such a hard class right now? Or why can't I get through my major? And everything is like, well, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I come to church. I'm involved in a community group. I serve at church. I serve in my campus ministry. I tell people about Jesus. Why isn't God giving me what I want? You want to know why? Because God is not a genie in a bottle to give you what you want. What you're seeking is a cheap counterfeit version of the pagan gods that they used to worship. You think God's Poseidon. You think he's Aphrodite. Well, if I do everything I'm supposed to do in religion, then God will come along and open the womb of my wife. If I do what I'm supposed to do, Jackie and I struggle with this all the time. We've prayed and prayed that God would take away Josiah's epilepsy. And there are seasons where we despair because we know we're doing what we're supposed to be, do- we're supposed to be doing, and yet he continues to suffer. It's where we believe the lie that if we perform and do, God will respond to us. And nowhere in the scripture can you find that. Because God is not for you, he is for God. And and some of you guys are like, I don't worship him. Guys, the best news you can walk out of here with this morning is knowing that God is for him and not for you. Because if God is for you, you screw it up all the time. If it was about you, look, look, at, look at our country right now. It's a dumpster fire. Sorry, if you love our current president, that's fine. I don't care what political spectrum you sit on. The country is a train wreck right now. We can't decide anything about health care. We can't decide what's good. No one can make decision on what is life and what a life isn't. We can't fix education. We can't fix the environment. We can't do anything right. And yet we continue to think the answer to all of our problems is who? Us. We created them in the first place. And as we sit here and we look at what God is saying, he's like, look, the problem is that you want to run to you or cheap imitations of me, and I will not play second fiddle to anything. The reason why you struggle even in the midst of good godly church community is because you are worshiping the thing and serving religious idols in order to try to manipulate the god of the universe and he cannot and will not be manipulated people ask me all the time how the church is doing and, and here's what they want to know. They want to know how many people are at your, attending your church and how many people are getting saved. And most of the time, I'm like, I don't really know the answer to that question. I don't know how to answer that question for you. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Like, how many baptisms have we had? I don't know. Here's how many we've had in the last year, but that's not a good indication of what God's doing in the hearts and minds of people in our church. Because here's the reality. As I said earlier, a lot of you guys walk in here thinking you're saved and you're not. But you're so indoctrinated into church culture That I see you over the course of your time here actually fall in love with Jesus and what he's done here, and it's a natural progression and transition for you instead of like me, where God pulled me out of craziness, where I was trying to kill myself practically, to where I have this aha moment. So I tell people all the time, and we're just down there faithfully discipling people and pointing people to Jesus because he is the hero of the story. And Paul sees the pagan church he planted. Embrace the gospel. Embrace Christ. Embrace the love of the Father. Turning to religion. Turning to wanting to observe and perform out of obligation and duty and forget what Christ has done for them. That's why he's writing this letter in the first place. He sees them running back maybe in a different way but running back to the very thing they were saved from because here's my fear here's my fear for us as a church is that you would spend time here you would get involved here that you would get plugged in here that you get plugged into a campus ministry or you would be involved with some other group in this city and the more that you're involved in it the more you stir up your affections for performing and doing and obeying and not for God and what he's done for you. You'd be more concerned about keeping the rules and doing things than you would be concerned about Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Look at, look at Paul's response to all this. He basically just calls them out and says, look, you're still worshiping demons if you go back to the law. That's what he says. Look at what he says in verse 12. I love this, because he, he's got this beautiful pastoral mix in this letter, of where he cares deeply about theology and God, but he also pastorally loves this church because of what he's done. Look at what he says. He says, Brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though, and, through my, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For, for I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Here's what Paul's saying there real quick. I want to stop. Paul was originally not going to go here, but we know, not specifically, but something happened to him, I don't know if it was conjunctivitis, I don't know what it was, but something happened to him and he got forced to stay in this region and he ended up planting churches because of it. And he's saying, guys, you guys love me so well as I shared the gospel to you that to help me out, you would have given me your own eyes to help me so that I could go and plant more churches. Look at what he says. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, that's the Judaizing false teachers, make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. See Paul's response to them. It's so pastoral. He loves them. But he loves them the way a father loves a child. That's why he uses that analogy at the end. Parents in here know exactly what I'm talking about. You may seem awful to your kids when you're telling them they can't do something that's going to harm them. But the, as a parent, you know it's the best thing for them. And you only tell them because you love them. Even if they end up hating you in the process. And... Paul says, look, guys, don't you realize how much God loves you? I didn't even want to come preach to you, which in many ways is the way I feel about living in Gainesville. Some of you guys know our story. My wife said to me right after we got married, this is is literally like the 10th thing she said to me, please don't make me move to Florida. I'm like, okay. Sure, whatever, I don't care. I just know I'm supposed to be a pastor. I don't know what that entails afterwards. I get a phone call. We thought we were gonna move to Raleigh, North Carolina and plant a church there. Right? had an entire group of people that were gonna move with us to plant that church. Started praying and fasting and God really revealed that we needed to slow things down and, and, and shut down the direction we were heading. And so we went back to the drawing board and start praying. And then I get this random phone call by this guy that lives in Gainesville named Rick Lawrence. He's like, hey man, uh, we heard that you have a group of people that want to plant a church, and we, we really think that Gainesville could use a church that doesn't just care about people that can give money, but college students. And we're like, okay, I mean, that's kind of what we're known for, but, you know, why, you know, why are you calling me, and how did this happen? He's like, well, will you guys just come down here and visit. And I was like, well, I'm going to be honest with you, it's going to be hard, because my wife said, please don't make me move to Florida. And so I went to Jackie, and there was another couple that, had, that came down and moved down here with us and helped us start the church, and they moved back to Virginia at this time. But both wives were adamantly opposed to living in Florida. We get down here, and we're walking around, and we're meeting people on campus, and we're meeting people in downtown Gainesville, and we had a meeting with a, a local guy who would help pastors get churches started in the area, and we're meeting with them, and we get back to Tampa that night, and we're sitting down praying, and both wives look at us and say, God wants us here. God wants us to be here. I'm not happy about it, but God wants us to be here. That's where we're supposed to be. I can tell you since then that my my wife's heart towards the city has drastically changed. She loves you guys the same way I do. She loves the city. She loves being here. We love that we get to raise our kids here. But we didn't even think we were going to be here. We didn't want to be here. Yet God wanted this church to be here so that, like the church in Galatia, the gospel would be proclaimed. And I'm not saying we're the only church in Gainesville that's doing that. I don't leave here saying that every church in Gainesville is evil except for Aletheia. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that the Lord wanted another one here that was going to preach the gospel. And in the midst of all of this, right, Paul is laboring, and he's like, why? Why? He's so confused. He's like, "Guys, what did I preach to you while I was there?" I preached to you Christ crucified. That was it. And guys, if I'm being brutally honest with you as your pastor, you can ask my wife. There are days where I come back from meeting with somebody or doing something and I look at her and I'm like, "What have I been doing for the last 4 years?" What have, have I labored in vain? We, we preach the gospel weekly from the pulpit. Our community groups, the, the name of our community group is the Gospel-Centered Community, <laughs> right? Se- seeking to be centered around what Christ has done for us, and we're all studying the same thing, right? If we play music up here on a Sunday morning that's not centered around Jesus and what he's done, I, I talk to Charles, I'm like, dude, get rid of that song. I don't like it. I don't care about the musical style. You guys can sound terrible, off-pitch, off-key. I care about the lyrics. I I care about us exalting Jesus and making much of him. And there are times where I come home and I'm just tired. Now, I've had the privilege of seeing many of you grow in love with Jesus and see his love for you change your lives. But I also have major fears that some of you guys in this church here this morning are walking down a path the same way the Galatian churches did. You've been here for a while, you've experienced what goes on here in the beginning, and then you run to what you know, which is the Bible belt. You run to religion and cultures where you would trade in knowing Jesus and what he's done for you for enslavement to works and religion into the world. I hear it in your complaints about your life i hear it in your questions that you ask me about sin and the scriptures i even hear it in your complaints about this church and the way this church fails you constantly guys if you are looking for a perfect church you're not going to find it this is you're in the wrong place because you're here because i'm here we're all sinners there's no promises in the scriptures that the that the perfect church exists except in the book of revelation And guess what's happened at that point? We're literally standing in front of Jesus 24 7. Meaning, you don't have a sinful pastor leading you any longer. You don't have sinful elders leading you any longer. You have your Savior and God the Father before you at all times so that you might worship them in spirit and in truth and see them for what they've done. But while we're here, we're going to make mistakes, it's going to be messy. I'm not upset about your questions. I'm upset about the fact that those questions are indicative of a deeper heart issue that you're worshiping something else. So here's how we're gonna end our time this morning, guys. I got a list of things that I see of ways that you and myself, as I shared with you earlier about Jackie and I's struggle with Josiah's epilepsy, and a list of things for you to think through and process through on ways that I see us enslaving ourselves to the poison of religion instead of the freedom in Christ that we are given. And here's what I want you to do if you take notes, write them down. If not, just listen and reflect. But honestly, examine yourself. Do I find myself in any of these categories that Kevin is mentioning. And guys, by the way, this is not an exhaustive list. But here's some things that I, I, I think, especially being in the South, things that we struggle with. If you find these things to be true of you, walk in repentance and faith towards God. All right, first one. You want to be served instead of serving others. Okay? You look for programs, policies, organizations that are centered around serving you and giving you what you want instead of what you might be able to do with your spiritual gifts to serve the kingdom. I find this consistently in people that complain about certain things we don't have here as a church. Number one, We don't have any money. So the program you want, we can't do. Number two, if you want to see us do something like that, it might just mean that God wants you to lead it and do it. But here's the pushback I often get. Well, I've seen that done really well, and it works really well in ministry, and I've seen it go really, really well here's what you're communicating to me. You want us to serve you, but you don't want to be a part of the solution. It's consumeristic, self-worship religion. Okay, number two. You have a ton of ideas on how to fix issues, but you don't want to participate. You're really good at seeing problems, but not being very good at part of the, about being part of the solution. And guys, I'm not just, by the way, I am preaching for whatever ministry you are a part of primarily it doesn't have to just be this church but you can see the faults in a religion but you don't want to be a part of the solution oh i see all these terrible things that are going on with my campus ministry you know the bible leader, study leaders are really weak or my bible study is not very good I've, I've had people come up to me like ah, i haven't been going to my community group anymore i'm like were you involved in a lathe one no but they want to be a member of the church. And one of the covenant membership requirements of our church is that you're plugged into a community group somewhere where you're known and accountable to people. I'm like, well, why aren't you going to your community group? Well, my Bible study leader's not very good. Well, first of all, that's rude. Let's start there. You're rude. Okay? Now that we've gotten that out of the way, what are you doing to help? What do you mean? I just stopped going. Well, that's real helpful. You're not a part of the solution. You're part of the problem there. You think your Bible study leader is more encouraged to study harder and be a better Bible study leader by you not showing up? No. If you find yourself in this category, repent. Number three, you want your ears tickled. That's biblical language. Here's what I mean by that. Whatever church you go to or whatever ministry you're a part of, you want the best music, the best preaching, you want to be entertained. Self-worship, guys. It's what it is. Right? As I said earlier, the church exists to make much of God, not you. Right? It's amazing. Like I've had people that, like, try to, that join this church— They'll okay, come and be like, oh, okay, so were you attending somewhere else here in town? Yeah, I was at this church. I won't say names. like, well, you know, why are you here? I'm, by the way, I am very, very distrusting if you come to us from another church. <laughs> very distrusting of it. Because here's the reality of probably what's going to happen. You'll be here for six months and then you'll find something you don't like about us. But I'll say, okay, you know, what's going on? Well, you know, their, their, their worship music wasn't very good. Is that in first you, second chapter, third verse? Some of you guys are laughing. Some of you guys are upset because I'm talking about you right now. Oh, the preacher, you know, he just, he wasn't very good. I like you, Kevin. You're animated. I have ADHD. It has nothing to do with me as a public speaker. I can't stop moving. I was that annoying kid in school who was doing this the whole time, sitting at my desk, right? It has nothing to do with my public speaking skills. I can't sit still, right? And I know some of you guys don't really like my style, too, because I see you out there laughing at me when I'm doing this thing, you know. (laughs) It's fine. It's who God's created me. I'm I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm more worried about what's being said and being loyal to the Word. If you find yourself involved in a ministry, right, and those are your primary concerns— The primary concern is not the ministry, it's you. You're running to something else other than Christ. I'm not saying there's not good reasons to leave ministries. It's not what I'm saying. But they can't be centered around preference. They need to be centered around worship and mission and you identifying with the mission of the church that you're involved with or the ministry that you're involved with. Number four, you want and scream for authentic community, but then you won't invest the time it takes to get there. Guys, this is the one I'm talking about for us. Okay, Some of you guys saw what I retweeted. My good friend Matt Smethers, who works for the Gospel Coalition, was involved with campus ministry with him at JMU. He's the senior editor for the Gospel Coalition. He he tweeted out the other day, college relationships, microwave friendships and relationships after college crockpot, and then someone else responded afterwards relationships after children drive through the parents laughed none of you none of you <laughs> non-parents have any idea what i'm talking about right now here's what he's saying some of you guys are like i don't understand why i can't really connect with anybody at the church but i do like but i connect so well with my campus ministry guys your campus ministry is easy to connect with because everyone for the most part is like you they're in college they're in a similar age range as you and they have similar similar struggles and views on life right now you walk into this church we have parents kids homeless people working people adults and when Lanny and his sweet wife Carol come up here from Ocala two 80 year old retirees that dress in cowboy gear takes a little bit more work to work through that because not everyone's the same here's the reality though when we get to heaven one day you're not going to just be with college students you're not just going to be with young singles you're not just going to be with families and parents that are just like you do the hard work of working through this stuff and trying to figure out how you can relate to one another in your common love for Christ but so much of what I hear is "I, I just want authentic community takes work we want that too but it takes work and it takes time you can't show up at an ultimate frisbee event and be best friends with someone who's 30 years older than you it's not that easy might work in college i'm here to tell you right now for some of you guys that graduate here in a couple weeks that ends but the church is beautiful getting to see what god does in different life stages and different people's lives Here's the last one. You want to see the church doing the work of evangelism, serving and making much of God, but you don't want to invest in it yourself. You want to show up, you want to get fed, and then you want to leave. The church is not a building. It's not a place, it's not this really cool cross that we have behind me in this window, even though if I asked most of you to draw a church, you'd probably draw something similar to that because most of you guys are from the South. The word church in the Greek is the Greek word ekklesia, which means a called out group of people who are like-minded on mission together. That means, by definition, the church is you. And here's how the church is supposed to operate. In in Philippians chapter 4, it says that God gives us prophets, evangelists, teachers, and all sorts of other people for the equipping of the saints, which is you as believers, for the work of the ministry. Meaning that church, by its definition, is supposed to be all of us in it together trying to figure this thing out and work it out together. I could go on and on with things I see in the South, right? You want a certain program, you want us to do certain things, but, he, but I'm gonna stop. Some of you guys are sitting down there right now and you're convicted, some of you guys are mad at me, some of you guys say, how dare you say this? You guys can ask our elders. And I messaged them earlier in the week and said, guys, I'm, I'm really struggling with this sermon this week because all I can see as I'm preparing for it is that, that God is pointing out some really real deficiencies in our culture and in the life of our church, and I'm celebrating four years here, and yet I feel like I'm having to knuckle down and, and, and say some hard things. And they're like, remember why we do what we do, which is to make much of Jesus. And so that's how I'm gonna finish, guys. Here's the reality and the beauty of being gospel-centered. I've just spent 15 minutes. I don't think I yelled at you, but if I did, you can come tell me later that you were hurt, and I'll apologize to you. But I've just spent 15 minutes talking about all the deficiencies I see in us as people. Here's the beautiful thing about being gospel-centered. Because if we want a gospel-centered church, here's what we would do next. I would sit up here, and I would bring out a whiteboard, and I would start writing all the things I want you guys to start doing. I want you to get involved in this community group and I want you to do this. I want you to start reading your Bible this many times. I want you to be meeting with these people. I want you to apologize to these people. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And I would create a list of rules for you and what I would be doing is the exact same thing the Judaizers are doing to the Galatian churches. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do instead. When looking at this text, when examining yourself, when examining us as a church body. We screwed up. We're sinners. We don't do it the way we're supposed to do it. I complain about things I'm not supposed to complain about. We complain about things we're not supposed to complain about. I'm mad at him. I'm mad at her. I'm disappointed in this. I'm upset with that. I'm doing all these things, and God's not showing up in my life. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, Wherever you saw yourself in there, if you're like me, you saw yourself under all of them in some way, shape, or form. God sent his only son to die for our wickedness and selfishness, to free us from our enslavement to the very things we're talking about here. Not just to get you out of going to hell or to give you the free cruise to heaven. He died so that you might have life abundant and to the full. So that when you look at deficiencies in yourself or in your church, you can freely admit them. This is the, this is is what freed me to even be able to preach this sermon this morning. Because God loves me, as evidenced by what Christ did on the cross for me, I already know what God thinks of me. I don't need your approval. I'm not tied to what you think of me. I'm not tied to even what I think of myself. I'm tied to what God thinks of me. And what God thinks of me is this. Love has nothing greater than one lay down his life for another. And God's only son willingly chose to lay down his life for you so that you might be adopted as a son of the most high God. That you would be known and loved by him. And that in the midst of your junk, in the midst of your sin, even in the midst of church community, Christ died for that. Isn't he great? May you spend this time reflecting, repenting of sin if you see any, but instead of wallowing over your sin, come up, take communion, and accept the fact that Jesus already died for it. You don't have to try to earn God's favor back. God's already done it for you through his son. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that we might worship him in taking communion and in song. Let's pray. God, what grace and mercy you show towards us that we are so undeserving of. As we sit and reflect honestly and openly about who we are and our deficiencies, Lord, my, my own heart cries out, woe is me. I'm so selfish, self-centered, self-loving, I want to worship creation rather than creator because it's the easy way out. And yet all it does is enslave me over and over again. And as I sit as somebody who knows the truth and knows the Bible well, I get even more angry at myself because I think I know better than this. What is wrong with me? And in your word you say that you demonstrated your own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, meaning There's nothing that we do or say that takes you by surprise. Father, forgive me. Drive us to repentance and drive us to a deep and sincere love for you, not displayed by actions or trying to earn it, by simply accepting the free gift of grace in Jesus Christ. Father, may we be marked daily by a sincere love for you because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus, thank you for every single person here this morning. It's not an accident that they're here. You wanted them to hear this and know this because they are loved by you, not based upon their own merit or performance, but because of what you've done and you've chosen them. Thank you for that sweet, sweet reminder to me. May we all be reminded of that this morning and worship you because you are worthy. I love you. I ask this all in Jesus' name.